Welcome to Living Truth Radio, a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship with Pastor Michael Lance. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. Genesis 22 is the text. Abraham, verse 3, rose, what's your Bible say? Early in the morning. Wouldn't you have slept in? I mean... I don't know if I would have been bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and ready to carry out God's will on this day. I think I would have moved a little slower, saddled the donkey, had a little less of a pace. But Abraham wakes up early in the morning. I'm not sure he got much sleep. He saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him, Isaac and Isaac, his son. He split wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place which God had told him. Abraham's obedience was immediate. How about you and me? There's a lot of people that won't even wake up for church on a Sunday morning, let alone go and do something like this and wake up early to accomplish God's will. What do you think Abraham was thinking as he woke up and journeyed on? Maybe something like this. How can God keep his promise If I sacrifice Isaac, God can't lie. So how will he remain true to his word, to his very nature, if I do this? Yet with all the questions and conjectures that we could have, Abraham obeyed. And on the third day, verse 4, Abraham raised up his eyes and he saw the place from a distance. In John 11, 41, when Jesus was at the tomb of Lazarus, the Bible says he raised up his eyes to pray. Many times when we think about prayer in our, in our culture, we think of lowering your head in prayer, and that's, that can be appropriate, and we do see that in the Bible, getting on your knees, getting on your face, lowering your head, closing your eyes, perhaps, to help you focus. But in many cases, Jewish people actually raised up their eyes. Do you ever notice that sometimes when a prayer is happening, if you happen to lift up your head and you see somebody else with their eyes open, you begin to judge them? Can I get a witness? Why aren't they... That's not the proper posture of prayer. (laughs) Then why are you looking at them with your eyes open? Boy, are we quick to judge sometimes. You know, sometimes we judge the way people worship. We think, well, that person can't be worshiping unless they've got their hands up in the air. That's not true. Some people don't sing because they they want to spare your ears. Isn't that a blessing? (laughs) Some people are reflecting on the words. Don't be quick to judge people just because they're not doing it the way you do. And Abraham raising up his eyes, it may imply that he was praying. I don't know for sure, but the Bible says here he raised up his eyes and he saw the place from a distance. He looked and he saw the place. Did he see that site of Golgotha specifically? Did he see the place of the skull? I don't know for sure, but this is the location where he's led And Abraham said to his young men, verse 5, stay here with the donkey, and I and the lad will go yonder, and we will worship and return to you. So Abraham makes a statement of faith here. He's confident that they will return, both of them. We will go worship, and we will return to you. How could Abraham think that? How could he conclude if he was going to be true to God's uh, command to him that anybody would come back except one. But he says, we're going to go. And I want you to notice, he says, we're going to go and worship and we're going to return. 
Most scholars believe that Abraham knew he was acting out prophecy. Here's one clue. It's found in Hebrews 11. Let's turn over there. Hebrews 11. We're going to look at the hall of faith here. Abraham is a prominent character in the great hall of faith. It's Hebrews 11. Let's take a look. Hebrews 11. We're going to pick it up at verse 17. Here's what it says. Hebrews 11, 17. It says, by faith, Hebrews eleven seventeen. Abraham, when he was tested offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son, reminds us of John 3, 16. Hebrews eleven eighteen 18 says, it was he to whom it was said, in Isaac your descendants or your seed shall be called. He, this is verse 19, that's Abraham, considered, this is an accounting term, King James says, accounting that God is able to raise men even from the dead, from which he also received him, Isaac, back as a type. The word type there is parabole in the Greek. It's a figure. It it becomes this, that when Abraham said these words to the servants of his household, he was saying, if I kill him, God will raise him. Abraham believed in the resurrection. And get this. He even believed in a resurrection that could occur if his son ended up as a pile of ashes. That's faith. And to my knowledge, in the Bible so far, there's been no resurrections. But Paul said in Acts 26, 8, why do any of you believe it incredible that God raises the dead? Do you believe Genesis 1-1? Do you believe that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth and he said, let there be light and there was light? Do you believe that? And some people say, well, I'm not sure. I mean, can God really raise us from the dead if, we, if people were cremated or eaten by a shark? Oh, yeah. He spoke the universe into existence. He can raise your DNA or whatever he's going to do and raise you to life. No problem for God. Abraham's a man of faith. He's never seen it. He's never read a lot of the passages that you and I have read. But he believes that God's fulfillment of his promise will come through the seed of Isaac. And the link to Christ is through Isaac. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the 12 sons, on to the Christ, to the tribe of Judah. This has to happen. So since it's impossible for God to lie, Abraham decided, well, if I do kill him, God will raise him. That, brothers and sisters, is faith. I don't know how you categorize your faith. I don't know how you judge your own faith. Go to John uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, a few pages back, John chapter 8. So Jesus is in a heated debate with the Jewish leadership, as he often was. And uh, they've been going back and forth. And this is John 8. Let's pick it up at verse 56. John 8, 56. Jesus says, your father, speaking to the Jewish religious leadership, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it. And what's the Bible say? John 8, 56, and he was what? He was glad. When do you think Abraham saw Christ's day? Many Bible commentators, many solid Bible commentators believe that when Abraham saw Christ's day was in Genesis 22. 
He saw the crucifixion and the resurrection. He saw it prophetically. He saw it in his mind. Maybe as he reasoned those three days, maybe as God spoke to him, I don't know exactly how it worked, but Jesus confirms that Abraham saw his day. And remember, Abraham lived 2,000 years before Jesus was even born in Bethlehem. So you could imagine why the Jewish religious leadership responds. The Jews therefore said to him, you are not yet 50 years old and you have seen Abraham? Give us a break. And Jesus says these incredible words. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. Ooh, baby. You know what this means? Jesus is saying, before Abraham sprang into existence, you want to talk about 2,000 years ago? I'll give you even one more. Before Abraham was born, I am. If you want to know what the Jews concluded about that statement, look at the next verse. Therefore, they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. They were going to try to stone him for blasphemy. His appeal is that Abraham saw his day. How did Abraham see it? Prophetically, back to Genesis 22. He saw it on Mount Moriah. He saw it playing out. In fact, many scholars believe that Abraham knew he was acting out prophecy. And all of a sudden, we see the picture. Now, in Genesis 22, 6, Abraham took the wood. So remember, now he's arrived at the spot. They got to climb up the hill. Too much for the donkeys, so they're going to leave the, the donkeys there. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering. Verse 6, he laid it on Isaac, his son. Interesting picture here. He took the wood. He laid it on Isaac, his son. Verse 6, he took in his hand the fire and the knife, and note this in your Bible, and the two of them walked on together. Many scholars have pointed out that when the two of them walk on to together, all of a sudden, this particular text is kind of transforming on a sub-level, and what you're seeing is God the Father and God the Son in agreement. Abraham becomes a type of God the Father. Jesus is pictured in Isaac. And you have a picture of the gospel. And as the wood is placed on Isaac, and if Isaac is a late teenager, it's understandable why he's carrying the wood. Abraham's an old dude, man. You got to delegate when you get older. <laughs> Amen? <laughs> Can I get a witness? I even asked my sons to get the remote control. <laughs> or to close the back door if it's been left a little bit open. I'll call him into the room. Hey! Yeah, Dad. Close that door. <laughs> like, but you're five feet from it. I know, but I'm... I'm in a reclined position. That's difficult for me to get up. So Isaac carries the wood, but as he carries the wood, what do you start thinking of? Do you know that in John 19, verse 17, it says that Jesus, what did he do? He bore his own cross. He carried at least the crossbar to Golgotha. He carried his own cross, and he was falling under the weight of it so much that they had to get someone to help, Simon the Cyrene, because he had been beaten so badly. He was carrying the wood of the cross, and Isaac, a type of Jesus, is carrying the wood to go up to Mount Moriah, where Jesus would die 2,000 years later, a steep climb, and the two of them walked on together. You know, when we read our Bibles, we don't often think of what the father was going through when the son was being offered. 
But we're starting to get a glimpse in Genesis 22. And this is the beauty and the power of Scripture. Significantly, says one writer, the Genesis Rabbah, a pre-Christian Jewish midrash, a commentary, commented that Isaac, uh, with the wood on his back, was like a condemned man, get this, carrying his own cross, close quote. Jewish commentators saw this scene with the wood and the knife and the fire and the two going up together, even in pre-Christian days. But Abraham also believes in a resurrection. And so here they walk on together. Isaiah 53, 10 and 11 says, but the Lord was pleased to crush him, the Messiah, putting him to grief. If he would render himself as a guilt offering, he will see his offspring, he will prolong his days and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many as he will bear their iniquities. Isaiah 53, 10 and 11. The son must die, but the son must live. As Abraham journeys three days, he's got that going through his head. The son must die. God says, offer him, but he must live because the line has to come through him. He is the promised son. The seed must come through him. What a dilemma. It doesn't make sense to me, God. He must die, but he must live. And so he had to walk by faith. There are many things in this life that don't make sense to me. Abraham is the ultimate picture of a man who must be going through a civil war in his brain. And yet somehow he settled it. Somehow he believed that there was a prophetic picture that God was having him act out. And we find evidence of that by Hebrews 11. And so Isaac, well, he speaks up. I don't know how much silence there was. I don't know the pace of the walk, but Isaac decided to speak, and he said to Abraham, his father, and he said, my father, and he said, here I am. This is a beautiful exchange. Here I am, my son, and he said, behold, hey, dad, I see the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? This tells us that offerings were taking place prior to the temple, prior to the official law, if you will. And Isaac knows there needs to be a lamb here. You remember when Mary and Joseph go into the temple and they're going to offer the sacrifice for her cleansing according to Leviticus? So they go into the temple and Simeon's been there and he's been staying in the temple area and he's been waiting for the consolation of Israel. And when he sees them come in with the the baby, he's so excited and he wants to hold the child and the Holy Spirit has made a promise. This is found in Luke 2, 25 through 35, that he will not die until he has seen the Lord's Christ. And they go in there. And what they offer is the, sac- the, fa- the sacrifice is supposed to be a lamb according to Leviticus 12, 6 through 8, but there's a provision. If you cannot afford a lamb, you give two turtle doves or two young pigeons, and that's what Mary and Joseph offer. But what is interesting about that scene is that she already had her lamb. He's the lamb of God who what? Takes away the sin of the world. So this means the Magi had not arrived yet because if the Magi had arrived before that scene in the temple, they would have had the money to buy a lamb. But they don't have the money. And Simeon takes the child into his arms and he begins to praise God and there is the Lamb of God. Much like John the Baptist when he sees him says, behold, look, 
There's what? The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Do you understand what this means? Jesus Christ is the ultimate offering for our sin. And God is dramatically playing this out in the book of Genesis. I mean, how many of us, sometimes we, we look at our Bibles and go, I don't, I don't know if I want to read the Old Testament. Oh man, you're missing something if you don't read it. So Isaac spoke up. I think any of us would. I'd have a few questions. Okay, dad, <laughs> wood, fire, knife, lamb. Can you help me out here? This tells us that Abraham had kept things to himself. And Abraham said, God, that's Elohim, verse 8, will provide, that's Yahweh, for himself the lamb. Literally, you could translate this, God will provide himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So once again, as we saw earlier, the two of them walked on together. Some assurance given to the son, God will provide some of you need to mark that tonight. God will provide. He will provide what is needed here. Abraham's great words of faith. This is from Abraham. This is not the words of heaven right now. This is Abraham. Abraham says God will provide. And what's Abraham been asked to do? You and I have been able to see that this is a test. We read Genesis 22.1. Abraham didn't have that information. We know it's a test. We know how the story is going to end. But Abraham doesn't. And he says, my son, you want to hear some great words of faith? The Lord will provide. I've said that sometimes in my life. And then I've taken a gulp sometimes. You see, I want to live by faith. I, I'm like that, that uh, dad oftentimes who says, Lord, I believe, but are you with me? Help my unbelief. God will provide. This tells us something of what it means to see the Father's perspective in this. In Abraham's case, God, as F.W. Grant has well said, spared that Father's heart a pang which he would not spare his own. You see, this was Abraham's test, but this was God's reality. We know what happens. We know God stops this, but he did not spare his son. And he who did not spare his son for us, how will he not along with him freely give us how many? All things. Romans chapter 8. I think that's verse 32. You see, we, we live our lives so much of the time in doubt. So much of the time we let doubt weigh us down. And Abraham walked on. And look, the 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 commission that he had was a tough one. I'm sure none of us could have anything that compares to this, although sometimes life does feel this way. And then they came to the place, verse 9, of which God had told him. And Abraham, he built an altar. An altar is a place of worship. And there he arranged the wood, and he bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. I want you to note Isaac's voluntary submission to his aged father. I'm sure at this point, Isaac could outrun him. I mean, this dude's 100 plus. You're a late teenager. I hope you can beat your dad in a race. Arm wrestling might be different. <laughs> I'm sure Isaac could outrun him. I'm sure he could have wrestled him. I mean, your life's on the line. Are you going to submit? 
You might ask your dad, did you take the right medication this morning? Any funny looking vitamins? <laughs> Are you sure you've heard from God? I'd be asking a ton of questions, but I hear no question from Isaac. All I see is voluntary submission, which is a picture of who? Jesus. Now, in the Garden of Gethsemane, though, we do know that he said, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Look, you're going to have some Gethsemane moments in your life. Everybody know that? God's going to stretch you and take you to places where you're going to have to voice prayers like that. And it's not always going to make sense. And maybe that was something that Isaac prayed. Dad, this does not make sense to me. But I'm going to submit. The father submitted. The son submitted. Wow. Beautiful. Even Christ did not please himself, Romans 15, 2. But as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproach thee fell upon me. You all know these verses. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus despised the shame of the cross. He did not want it, but he voluntarily submitted for the joy that was set before him. And I know that many Bible teachers have said the joy that was set before Jesus was knowing that you would be in heaven. He looked forward in time and saw all the faces that would be there by his sacrifice. I agree. But I'll tell you something else, and this may be more biblical. I think the joy set before him was to do the will of his father. I think the joy set before him, he said, I always do those things, what? That please my father. I think he wanted to please his father. I think he also knew what would occur from the sacrifice. And the Bible goes on, Hebrews 12, 3, consider Jesus who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you may not grow weary and lose heart. For you have not resisted to the point of shedding blood and you're striving against sin. And Jesus said, your will be done. And Isaac said, okay, Father. And Abraham stretched out his hand. Can you imagine the emotions? Can you imagine waiting all your life for the son to be realized? And you've got a knife over him. He, Abraham stretched out his hand and he took the knife to slay his son. What would that take to be at that point of obedience? incredible. I'm going to take you to one other New Testament passage. It's found in the book of James. Everybody turn, if you would, to the book of James. James chapter 2. James 2, 18 says, James is shoe leather stuff. Rubber meets the road. You say you're a Christian. James is from the show me state. James 2.18, he says, someone will may say, someone may well say, you have faith, James 2.18, I have works. Show me your faith, keyword, show me your faith without the works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, James 2.19, you do well. The demons also believe in shudder. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac, his son, on the altar? You see that faith was working with his works, and as a result of the works, faith was what? Perfected. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God, 
and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. And all God's people said, go. Does this ruin justification by faith? Does James disagree with Paul? No. James is talking about how people can see your faith. He's talking about people who have a said faith, people who claim they're Christians, but they have no fruit in their lives. James says, if you want to tell me you're a Christian, then show me. Do you agree? Maybe you're going through a season right now where you're having a tough time trusting God and you're wondering, Lord, are you going to provide? I don't see the provision here. I just see no way out. I see darkness and challenge and trial and trouble. But I've heard it painted this way before and I think it's an excellent illustration. As Abraham was going up the face of the mountain, the ram was coming up the other side of the mountain. The provision was there all along, in other words, but Abraham just couldn't see it. And we don't always see clearly from our side of the mountain, from our perspective, because our view is blocked. But God sees, definitely sees the big picture. And of course, he's responsible for the big picture. And here on Mount Moriah, way back in Genesis 22, the gospel is acted out. And God would give his only son and the knife would come down. He would not spare his son. He did not spare his son. He freely gave him to us and for us. And because of that, how will he not freely give us all things? If we can look at that promise and know God was willing to give his son, then why fret that it'll hold back any good thing from us? But we need to know that he'll do it in his time and his way. Well, this is Living Truth Radio. My name is Pastor Michael Lance. We're so glad that you're aboard on the book of Genesis, listening along, hopefully learning and being encouraged and challenged in your walk with Jesus Christ. Oh, it is a faith walk, brothers and sisters. There's no doubt about it. It's a journey of faith and we've got to trust God. When we don't see everything, that's when we're called to walk by faith and not by sight. So thank you for listening. Hey, would you keep us in prayer? We have some great opportunities on Living Truth Radio. We could use your prayer and your financial support. You can give to this ministry through our website at livingtruthradio.org. Just click on the donate button, indicate your offerings for radio ministry. Help us out with a small gift. Many small gifts really help us with radio time and help us make decisions for the future. And uh, we do need your support. We need to hear from you today, really. So uh, you can go to that website, livingtruthradio.org, and give. And use the contact form. Let us know how we can pray for you and who you are, where you listen. And if the program has been a blessing to you, that would be awesome. You can avail yourself to a lot of different things on the website as well. Teachings uh, throughout many books of the Bible. Uh, A lot of stuff on there that you can check out. And if you're anywhere near the Inland Empire and you want to come and worship with us on a Wednesday or a Sunday morning, you can check out the service times and directions for Living Truth Christian Fellowship. So this is Pastor Michael Lance with help from Andy Chapel on the board today. God bless you and we will catch you next time on Living Truth Radio. Thank you for listening to today's program. If you'd like to listen to this message again, learn more about our church in Corona or to access archived messages, go to livingtruthradio.org and click on the church tab. You can follow us on Instagram at livingtruthcorona or download the Living Truth Christian Fellowship app on Apple and Android devices. Living Truth Radio is a listener-supported ministry. You can partner with us by donating at livingtruthradio.org.